Welcome to the Shepherding Talk podcast. My name is Aaron Kempel. Today I'm going to share with you a discussion that I had with my good friends Reuben Prevost and Larry Greenlee as we looked into the book of Titus. If you have any questions, feel free to email me at Aaron, A-A-R-O-N, at shepherdingtalk.com. Thanks and enjoy the podcast. A preacher was given a challenging place in which to work. He was given a challenge, challenging task. He was given a challenging relationship, and he was given a challenging schedule. Tonight we're talking about Titus on the island of Crete. Good evening and welcome to The Monday Night Study, hosted by the Dallin Road Church of Christ. My name is Aaron Kempel, and with us tonight are our fellow preachers, Larry Greenlee and Reuben Prevost. How are you guys doing tonight? We're doing well tonight. Doing good. Doing good. How are you? Good. Doing great. We're all recovering. Uh, we all three were up uh, at a teen lectureship in Irving, Texas, hosted by the West Side Church of Christ, and it was just a blast. Yeah, it was and, awesome. Uh, glad uh, to be... Real encouragement. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, uh, but now we are tonight, we're going to be looking at the book of Titus. Uh, part of our Bible reading, we're reading through 17, well, our Bible reading this year at Dallin Road is 17 books of the New Testament, the shorter letters, and uh, we're going to cover Titus tonight. And so we're looking forward to that. So uh, feel free to share any comments or questions that you may have with us on Facebook, or if you're with us on uh, Zoom, share them there, and we'll make sure that we cover the comments or questions. Um, If you're with us on Facebook or on Zoom, please, I mean, Facebook or YouTube, please share this link with your friends right now. And let them know that we're studying Titus. So we'll be here for the next hour. All right, so let's go ahead and have a word of prayer. And Larry, can can you lead us in that prayer? Absolutely. Our Father in heaven, we glorify your name. We thank you that we are all in a position in which we're able to live stream your word, where we're able to live stream live stream our studies of your word and for others to join it, even though they may be across seas, across states, across city lines. We pray that you bless me, that you bless the listeners of this podcast, as well as those who are currently hosting the pod, podcast with wisdom so that we may all understand your word and that you also bless us with humility so that when we fi- find something in your word that is counter to what we or to what our culture believes, we recognize and understand that your will and your word is greater. We pray for our overall good study, and in the name of your Holy Son, we make this prayer. Amen. Amen. So on that intro tonight, uh, as I talked about a challenging place, a challenging task, challenging relationships, and a challenging schedule, we stole that, just ripped that from Philip Shoemaker. So um, if uh, you've heard Philip say that, you know, we stole it from him. But uh, he talked about this actually uh, over the weekend up in the teen lectureship in, in Irving and uh, made these points about Titus. So we're going to steal some of that tonight. Thank you, Philip. And so we'll talk about that for a moment, and then we'll get into a, an outline, kind of a brief outline of the book of Titus. And then we're going to talk about some themes that run through the book of Titus uh, for the later part of the study. All right. So, you know, we see in Titus chapter one, guys, uh, we see this is why I left you in Crete. So we see Paul writing to Titus and he's in Crete. Okay. So let's talk a little bit about Titus guys. Well, some Uh, things that we know about, Oh, excuse me. Some things that we know about Titus just from what the Bible tells us is that Titus is a trustworthy individual. We, we hear about Titus early on in the New Testament or in the order that the New Testament is organized in first in second Corinthians and later on, I believe in Galatians, but in second Corinthians specifically in chapter eight, verse 16, Paul refers to Titus as, or rather I'll just read from that verse. Now in verse 16, Paul wrote, thanks be to God who put into the heart of Titus, the same concern that I have Paul for you for Titus, not only welcomed our appeal, but he is coming to you with, with much enthusiasm and on his own initiative. From this text and from a few other places in the, in the New Testament that Titus is mentioned, we learn that Titus is a hard worker to the hard worker and he's a loving worker of God to the point that Paul here compares himself to Titus. They say they're almost one in the same. Yeah, absolutely, Reuben. 
Yeah, one of the things that we also see with Titus is that uh, he was a trusted companion of Paul. I mean, Paul calls him his brother. Paul calls him his um, partner. He calls him his fellow worker. We see all of that actually in, in 2 Corinthians. Uh, Titus is mentioned quite frequently in that book, in the letter to in the second Paul's second letter to the Corinthian church. Um, and one of the things that he says in 2 Corinthians, and I think I think for the most part, Bible students believe that Paul sent the that second letter uh, to the Corinthian church. He sent that with Titus, and Titus is the one who delivered that letter. Uh, but one of the things that Paul says is that he says, I wrote to you with many tears. And so he had written, he had written this letter uh, with many tears. And uh, it tells us that this is an important letter, you know, this is a this is something that has been on Paul's mind and on Paul's heart for a while. And so who does he send it with? Well, in all likelihood, he sent it with, with Titus. And it just shows us the amount of trust that Paul had uh, with his with his partner in the faith. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So do <clears throat> you think about when Paul wrote First Corinthians, he was dealing with a lot in that in that city, a lot of yeah. a lot of uh, carnality, a lot of division. Um, good-hearted people, but they really uh, they really needed some correction. And so Paul sends the first letter and then follows up with Timothy, sends him there. And now we see that he's also sent Titus. And so Paul's anxious about how things are going to go down, how they're going to respond. And uh, so, yeah, it's, um, it's interesting to, to think about that these men, Titus and Timothy, were Paul's right-hand men. They're his sons in the faith. He loved them. He trusted them. And as, as was already said, he, he thought about them as they, they were like-minded, you know. In fact, he said, he said the same thing basically about both. There's no one like these guys. Uh, I, they think just like me. Uh, and so that's the kind of guy he sends to Crete, which is important because as we segue into Crete as a challenging place, why was this such a challenging place to put Titus? A quote from the, t- I'm sorry, Ruben, were you about to say something? Uh, no, you good. The quote from the text, Crete is a challenging place for similar reasons that Ephesus was a challenging place and for the same reasons that Corinth was a challenging place. There was simply a lot of corruption, a lot of carnality, a lot of idolatry, a lot of immorality in the place. In fact, um, Paul wrote in Titus in Titus 1, picking up in verse 12, that one of Cretan's own prophets has prophets, or one of their own poets rather, has said it. Cretans are always liars, evil brutes, lazy gluttons. This saying is true. Paul writes at the start of verse 13, Crete was not an easy place to be in. And if we think back to how we see Paul and how he handles these not easy to handle cities, he's always doing one of three things. He either goes there himself, either sends Timothy there, or or he either sends Titus there. And here we see he sent Titus there, but Crete was mm-hmm. not an easy city to be in. Yeah, one of the um, one of the words that was used during Paul's day was a word to Cretanize, and I, that's a translation from the Greek. Uh, but to Cretanize, and that word was used to refer to uh, uh, liars, essentially. Right, and that's just because of that. What you said with regards to what Paul says in in Titus. Uh, your own prophet says that Cretans are, are they're always liars. And it's not surprising because when you look at the gods that the, you know, the, in the Bible, one of the big themes of the Bible is that you come, you become what you worship. And if you look at the gods that the Cretans worshiped, well, they were immoral gods. They were wicked gods. Uh, Zeus of the, the Cretans uh, was, a, was, a, was a liar. He was a womanizer. As a matter of fact, there's a story about how he took the form of another woman's husband so that he could have relations with with her and deceive her because she was uh, she was she was not going to allow that. But you know, this Zeus uh, was an immoral God. And if they're worshiping this guy, uh, well, imagine how they're living. Uh, and what we see from history is that they are an immoral people uh, living wicked lives. And so, yeah, uh, uh, Titus, excuse me, has a has a difficult task at hand with, with what Paul is asking him to do. Yeah, so we think about, uh, again, the, the Crete as an island, uh, very difficult. You know, 
Philip did such a great job explaining to, the topography of the land and, and the geography there and how it's not only a difficult place with the immorality there and the idolatry, it's also a very difficult place uh, just to walk around and to get to these different places. And, and he's got a lot to do and, and a lot of places to go. And he's not only dealing with very difficult people, he's got to go up and down mountains and, and uh, travel um, some pretty rugged terrain in order to do this. So that's another part of this challenging place. Uh, but, you know, I just thinking, guys, um, as I think about Cretans are always, you know, I think it's Epimenides, if I'm saying yeah. that right, the, the prophet, the poet of their day. You know, imagine uh, Americans are our ways, right? You know, and you hear these statements. So Americans are always these things. And then Paul says, yep, it's true. <laughs> I mean, think about yeah. that. You know, he's talking about your home. And, uh, and so the, the Cretans are always this way. They're always liars. They're always evil beasts. They act like animals. Hmm. I mean, think about that. He's, these people are acting like animals. Instead of image bearers of God, they're acting like animals and liars and lazy gluttons. And he says, this is true. So therefore, Titus, pack up and go home. Right? No, he didn't do that. He doesn't do that. He says, therefore, rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in the faith. Right. Uh, so he has, a, he has a very challenging place, very challenging task, right? He's appointing elders, verse 5, uh, in every city. So there was a lot of teaching that had to go on there, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, anything else about the challenging task before we move on to challenging relationships? Nope. Okay. <clears throat> yeah, so if you look through the book, Titus 1 through 3, I mean, it's a short letter. It doesn't take long to read it. Uh, but if you just think about the things, that the conflicts that he has to deal with, the, very, the problem people that he has to deal with, this kind of ties in with the task and the relationships uh, they, they kind of they kind of uh, overlap here in this concept, but there were some very difficult people, people who are teaching false things, people who are teaching false things and causing trouble, people who are just causing trouble, people who had really bad home lives. Their marriages weren't what they should be. Older women, some of them weren't behaving as they should be. Older men weren't behaving like they should. The marriages, the homes, the family, the workers, the people who were working, it's all it's all a mess. And so he has to go in there and help people learn how to live in a way that pleases God. And of course, there's a lot behind that. Now, but it's a very uh, challenging thing as he's trying to help people build relationships. Any thoughts about that? Yeah, I mean, and you can, you can understand sort of the breakdown of relationships when you're looking at a city that is so corrupt and so wicked. Um, when you think about, again, the gods that they're serving, the gods that they're serving are taking advantage of, of one another. Uh, of humanity. Uh, the gods that they are serving don't see the value of humanity. And so, you know, why would, why would they? And so the, one of the things that we see is that uh, when you look at Crete, the people are taking advantage of one another. They're lying uh, to one another. They're uh, using uh, these relationships for financial gain. They're greedy towards one another and so on and so forth. And so what Paul is trying to get them... Um, what Paul is trying to get Titus to teach them is uh, to, to build good relationships. And so we see the family relationship in chapter, uh, all throughout chapter two, the family relationship. Um, and in chapter three, we see sort of relationships with those in society. And so we've got to do these, this relationship thing better, because if we don't do it well, then what's going to happen is there are going to be people who uh, essentially blaspheme the word of God because, because you aren't living well. Yeah, and we'll tie that into a point later. We'll, uh, we'll hold on just a second. We'll tie that into a point later uh, when we get to um, uh, the idea of that we don't live on an island, or we're we're not uh, we we don't just live to ourselves. We're not isolated. Uh, that the way we live uh, reflects the doctrine of Jesus Christ. We'll spend some more time on that later. So appreciate you bringing that up. Uh, those who are listening, just understand there is a delay. So it's not that we're rude. Uh, sometimes there's a delay, especially between me, I think Ruben or uh, Larry and I. And so um, he's in, he's in the next room right behind me, but there's a delay of a second or two. So uh, just understand that. All right, Larry, go ahead. Um, I, I think you had already hit on exactly what I was about to say. That being just, we see, we see later on the reason why they need to be better, why their film relationships need to be better, why how they interact with society needs to be better. It ultimately starts and ends with God. 
if they're following the god, if they're being image bearers of the god they're following, then all those things should be resolved. Likewise, if they're not being image bearers of God, then that's going to lead to people blaspheming God's name. It just ties all back in together. It's bookended by it starts with and ends with God. And we see that through the text. And like you said, we'll get to that point a little later on. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so uh, challenging place, Crete. Uh, not be, you know, the, uh, the immorality, the idolatry, the topography, all of that was difficult. The task, appoint elders, correct those who need to be corrected. In fact, at some point later, he's told to withdraw fellowship and have nothing to do with certain people because they're divisive. That's a challenge. Uh, and he has to do all of that with the challenging task of making sure he behaves in the way he's supposed to. Yeah. Uh, so again, as we think about these relationships, if just look at the book. And I would encourage you as you're listening to this, you know, tonight when you're reading or maybe get up in the morning, read the book of Titus and just look at how much is related to relationships. Okay. Uh, then finally, on this challenging schedule. So what do we see in the last chapter that tells us he had a challenging schedule, guys? Well, as he as he sort of starts to end the book, he says, I'm sending you... Who does he say I'm sending? Oh, I'm in the wrong book. That's why I can um, see it. But he says, I'm sending you Artemis and Tychicus uh, so that you can come to me. Uh, and so there's sort of a... There's a deadline here. There's a stop time here where where Titus is supposed to do this work in Crete and then return back to Paul. Um, and so, yeah, he's, he's under a deadline. He's, he's got a, a, a certain amount of time to, to make this happen, not an indefinite amount of time. And, and then he returns to Paul and, and sort of turns that work over to someone else, potentially. Yeah, and while he's doing yeah, we, it, he... Go ahead, bud. No, I, was just, I was just to add on to Ruben's point. We already know from our personal lives when we already have a difficult task, the one thing that can make it harder is throw a timeline on top of that. Throw Deadline. be done by this state. That makes it a lot tougher as is. It amplifies it really. That was all I was going to add, Aaron. Yeah, and and also on in Titus three verse thirteen, do your best to spend a speed Zenus the lawyer and Apollos on their way. See that they lack nothing. So not only while he is appointing elders, dealing with false teachers and dealing with problems, trying to help people in family relationships and parenting and husbands and wives and older women, women and younger women, and just all of this stuff and, and dealing with people that are divisive. You got to mark, you know, get the congregation to mark them, all of that. Oh, and hurry up and get here. Oh, and before you leave, you need to prepare. Uh, you need to prepare Zenus and Apollos and get them ready to come. No problem, no pressure, Titus. I believe you can do it, right? So, uh, I love this. I mean, he puts a lot on Titus's shoulders, and he's a young man, I believe, like Timothy was, and I think that shows us something. And uh, I, I think that probably a lot of us listening tonight may already understand that. But I just think we need to remember that that we can expect a lot out of young people. I mean, these guys, uh, we don't know how young they are. People guess at how old they are, but uh, we can't expect a lot uh, out of these young men and women um, like Titus and, and Timothy and King Josiah from the Old Testament. These, these young men and women, uh, Ruth and, and Esther, they did incredible things for God um, in their youth. So that was just a side point that, you know, just thought of as we were talking. Yeah, that's right. Don't, don't discount the young. Uh, I, I like, I think it was... I think it was Mark. I don't know who it was. There was a lot of speakers this weekend, but one of the speakers said, "You know, the young people are are not the church of tomorrow; they're the church of right now." That's right. That's, That's right. right. So, um, as we look at the four sections of Titus, uh, Reuben, why don't you just lead us through a brief outline of the book? Um, yeah, I can do that. All right. So, Paul begins the book with uh, sort of an introduction like he usually does, uh, and that's verses 1 through 4 of the first chapter of this letter here. And this chapter introduces pretty much all the themes that he's going to cover in the letter, so the theme of faith, the theme of godliness, the theme of eternal life and salvation, all of that appear later on in the book. They come back. Um, and then when we pick up in verse 5, we sort of get to the body of the letter proper, and so you could call that the second section. And chapter or verse 5 actually sets up the structure of the rest of the lesson, sort of in reverse order. And so verse 5, it says, The reason I left you in Crete was to set right what was left undone, and, as I directed you, to appoint elders in every town. And so that's essentially the structure of the rest of the letter. The first thing Paul is going to deal with is, like I said, it's in reverse order. The first thing Paul is going to deal with is appointing elders in every town. 
And then the second thing Paul is going to deal with is setting right what was left undone. And so, uh, well, what does that look like? Well, first, the elders in chapter one. Uh, in chapter two, uh, setting things right, once he starts jumping into that, he's talking about the essentially the family relationship, talking about the older men, the older women, the younger women, the younger uh, men enslaved. So he's covering sort of everyone in the household and how they should behave themselves. Because again, with regards to uh, the people in Crete, they were not the most moral people. Uh, they were very immoral people. And so Paul is trying to get them to reorient their lives around Jesus and to live right. And so that's what we see in chapter two with regards to the family. In chapter three, we see essentially the same thing, but with regards to society. And so living right and doing good uh, among society. And again, Paul says that's all based around, um, around Jesus, orienting life around Jesus. And so that's essentially the sections that we see. He closes out in, in verses 12 through uh, 15. But that's essentially the sex, sections that we see here in Titus. Yeah, very good. So uh, I put a couple things on our uh, chat down there on uh, Facebook. Uh, but find references to sound doctrine. Words like sound, sound teaching, sound doctrine, teaching, teach these things, insist on these things, or any references to false teaching. Uh, just start throwing those in uh, in the messages there or uh, in the chat uh, on Facebook. And also find references to good works or working because it's a book full of works and good works and working. So find those references. Start scanning through the book. Well, not if you're driving, uh, but uh, you know if you're if you're sitting there at home listening, do it. Just no, start scanning it. through your Bible. Yeah, do it. No, it was just it was the uh, the Star Wars. Do it, but. That's it. No, yeah. It. <laughs> yeah. So find those references and start throwing those in the in the chat, and then uh, we'll see how many we come up with tonight. Appreciate you being with us tonight. All right. So what we're going to do for the rest of the for the rest of the time tonight for our re- last maybe forty minutes is we're going to talk talk about four themes, roughly that we're going to run through four threads that we can run through this book, and one of them is. God's grace and God's power working through very broken, very immoral people to transform them. That's one thread we're going to look at. That's the first one. Then the second one, we're going to talk about good works, okay? Because the good works are based on the one we just mentioned, the idea of God's, God's grace, God's love, God's transforming power leads us to good works and prepares us for good works. Uh, but then we're also going to talk about sound doctrine and what does that look like? Because Typically in our fellowship, when we say sound doctrine, there's a few things that come to mind, like how we spend the money and whether or not we use instruments in worship and things like that. Sound doctrine in this book is a lot different than that. And there's a lot more than that. So uh, we're going to talk about sound doctrine. Then the fourth section we're going to look at is, uh, the way Ruben said it this morning as we were talking was, we are not an isolated people. These relationships matter because it affects how people see God and His Word. So those are the things we'll be talking about. So tonight, we're going to, uh, again, we're just going to continue with this theme of grace. So God's grace, transforming power, working the Holy Spirit in very immoral, idolatrous, broken, brute beast, idolatrous, lazy glutton. I, I can't say enough words. This kind of people, they turned into, they turned into pure-hearted, blameless workers for God. That that's amazing. Yeah. What are your thoughts about that from the from the book of Titus? Well, clearly it's possible. That's that's sort of number one. It's possible. Uh, sometimes we think uh, people don't change. Um, you know, once always once a fill in the blank always a fill in the blank whatever it is. Um, and so sometimes we think just people don't change, um, but that's not the approach Paul is taking as he's instructing Titus. Uh, he says, whenever he, as a matter of fact, whenever he talks about that, that, that saying from Epimenides in verse 12 of chapter 1, uh, one of their very own prophets said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. And if the book sort of ended there, uh, then maybe, yeah, maybe we could say people don't change. Uh, but the book doesn't end there. Uh, the, the prophet said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, la- lazy gluttons, always, always. They don't change, always. And Paul could have mm-hmm. just said, okay, well, since they're always this way, don't do anything. But Paul in verse 13 says, well, this testimony is true, but for this reason, rebuke them sharply 
so that they may be sound in the faith. So it's not, uh, it's not that people don't change. People can change if we talk to them, if we show them the truth, if we show them what sound doctrine really is. And so Paul begins the letter with a premise that people can and do change. And so he says to, to Titus, hey, uh, rebuke them, teach them this stuff, proclaim these things. And so, because he expects people to change. Go ahead. There's a, there's a reminder there as well that the only way for people to change from ungodliness to godliness is to be told how to do that, to be taught how to do that. I think that's a consistent theme here as well. Yes, and that, that is important as we get into the good works, is that we have to be taught. That is something that I think sometimes we assume and or maybe we just neglect with with other people or maybe even with ourselves we need people need to be taught um and that, one of the thoughts that i wanted to share with you that i didn't mention this when we were talking but i went through titus a while back and i just highlighted all the t- well i may not have caught them all but quite a few of the times where you well, you'll see it titus 1 3 god our savior titus 1 4 Jesus, our Savior. Titus 2.10, God, our Savior. Titus 2.13, Savior Jesus Christ. You seen a pattern? Titus 3, mm-hmm. verse 4, God, our Savior. 3.6, Jesus Christ, our Savior. I don't know if I caught them all, but, you know, if we, re- we, if we look at, okay, we're on a broken island with all this immorality going on. Again, to cretinize, right? To cretinize. They need a savior. And look at how many references there are just in the short letter to God being our savior, Jesus Christ being our savior, who gave himself for us to purify us from every lawless deed. Yeah. Yeah. And so I don't know. Yeah, I think you said 1 3, 1 4, 2 10, 2 11, 2 13, 3 4, 3 5, and 3 6. That's what I have. That's what I have. Yeah. But, uh, I but, didn't, yeah. Right. But yeah, I mean, I all of that. Verse 5. All of that salvation language throughout the book. Again, that's one of the themes that Paul begins in his intro. He starts in his intro in verse three, um, God our Savior, and he just picks that up over and over and over and over again. And so people have the power to change through God. I, I like that point, that just adding that point, it's through God. God is the one who washes us, who renews us. He talks about that in chapter three, how we're renewed, not not because of not because of how awesome we are, but we're renewed by God, by the Spirit. Um, but yes, over and over again, salvation, salvation, salvation uh, from God. And that's really, that's where some people can fall short and go wrong with good intentions. It's very easy for us to recognize, okay, we need to change. We want to do things better. We want other people to change. But then the mistake that we make is that we go about trying to force that change without involving God in that. That's not what we see Paul instruct Titus to do. That's why I think God is mentioned over, over, and over, and over again. The only way for these godly changes, for these changes for the betterment, not just for the individuals, but for the community to happen, God has to be involved. If we're not involving God in that, then we end up with the same problem, but just in a different color. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so great, great point. Now, going along with that, we don't want to trans- transition yet to good works, but I do want to make this point now because I know I'll forget it. <laughs> is you mentioned something later there? Well, both of you did that. That made me think that at the end of Titus one, as we think about all of this stuff, God being our Savior, God our Savior, God our Savior, God our Savior, and the connection to good works. If I don't know God, I'm disqualified for good works. Every good work. And so as we think about the foundation of God being our Savior is critical to our doing good works because two Christians can do good works, but one's doing them for a very different reason than the other. On the outside, it may look the same, but inward, they have very different motivations. All right, exactly right. I did get a question. Someone texted me, um, and they said, hold on. I watched it, weird things. They said, shouldn't it be made clear that these idols or gods, I mean, we were talking about Zeus earlier, are not real, 
and are not compelling these people to behave in an evil way, but are just means of justifying their chosen behaviors. Yes, absolutely. Um, and so Zeus is, is, is not a, is not God, not God in, in the sense that God is God. He's not God at all. He's not a real God. Um, and so he's not compelling anybody. Um, they are, yeah, using this false God to, to justify exactly as, as this person said, who, had, who, who texted me. And so, yeah, it's important to clarify that. Well, another thing with that, the Psalm 115 just to remember that the idols are silver and gold, work of human hands. They have mouths but do not speak, eyes but yeah. do not see, ears but do not hear, noses but do not smell. They have hands but do not feel, feet but do not walk, and they do not make a sound in their throat. Those who make them become like them. That's right. So do all who trust in them. Yep. They became like the gods they created. Yep. And so they became liars. They created the god into a liar, and they became like him. All right. Yeah, so it's human-driven, definitely. Yeah, absolutely. So getting back, I wanted to address that, but uh, getting back on yeah. what we were talking about. Yeah, so the idea of, of um, uh, as, as we see then Titus chapter 2 about grace, I'd like to read this section for a moment. Titus 2, Larry, can you read Titus 2 verses 11 through 15 as we consider grace? Yes, I can. Verse 11 picks up in the NIV. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. Yeah, very good. So that's, uh, the grace has appeared. Now it says it has appeared, to, you know, to all people, but grace teaches, right? Verse 12, grace yeah. prepares us to cast aside all of the stuff that we're doing that's wrong. All the, I mean, in their culture and in American culture, all this stuff that's defiling us and making us dirty, grace causes us to say, I, I want to get rid of all this stuff. I've come to Christ. He's forgiven me of all this. I want to shed it all and just get rid of it all. You know, put it to death. And, and that's that grace teaches us that. And that's something that as we think about the foundation for this letter, God, our Savior, His grace, and He is transforming, it, transforming them from the inside out, laying the foundation to re prepare for Himself a people qualified and prepared for every good work. It's amazing. Yeah. And I also... I also right. Okay. I also wanted to point out at, at the end of verse 12, I'm not sure if it says this in other translations, but, it, but in the NIV, at the end of verse 12, it reads, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. That's not a, okay, we're going to live godly, we're going to be different, we're going to be better like two years from now, five years from now, ten years from now. The gospel teaches that we need to be better, and we need to strive to be better, to be godly, not later on, but right now. And I think that's an important thing to point out because if we miss that, we miss everything, really. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, so Terry says sometimes people are taught, but they are not transparent about sin, brokenness, and struggles. Um, it is easy to hide sin and struggles that one may be dealing with in life. Transparency is important. Amen. Absolutely. Um, Amen. Yeah. And that's so, what we... Uh, go ahead. Well, that's what we see from, from Paul himself. Um, Paul was very transparent about where he had failed. Uh, never really tried to cover mm -hmm. that up and, and look back and say, well, no, no, I don't, I didn't do that. Or why are we talking about that? No, he says I was, I was the, uh, mm -hmm. worst of them, the worst of sinners. Right. And so, yeah, that's, that's an important point. And then one more thought of on, on grace on, as far as my part, <clears throat> as we look at grace and the working of the Holy Spirit, uh, he reminds them in Titus three, we were all foolish, right? Yeah, and verse 3 right. talks about how we all behaved, and we don't want to be on the list, but every one of you, you're on this list, and so am I. We were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of, our, of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration, that's probably referring to baptism, uh, I think so, and the renewal of the Holy Spirit, 
whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified, made right, set free, uh, cleared of all charges by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Now notice the hope of eternal life. That refers us back to Titus 1-2. That's the promise God gave and he cannot lie. How did he accomplish that? At the cross. That's right. And so that, that's just an important, this, this foundation of grace that prepares us to do good works. Right. And you know, I was going to and, and intersperse some of this throughout the, um, the other sections, but just saying it now is in chapters 2 and chapter 3, Paul is, is dealing with good works. Um, that's what he's, he's dealing with, good works in the home. And in chapter 3, he's dealing with good works in society. But what we see from those sections that Aaron read from, uh, verses four, uh, verses four through eight, and of chapter three, and verses eleven through thir- fourteen of, of chapter two, both of those sections show us that there is a uh, foundation uh, that our good works must be rooted in. Foundation our good works must be rooted in, and that foundation is is the gospel of God or, or sound doctrine. We'll talk more about that later. But that foundation yeah. is, is the gospel of God, the grace of God, uh, the kindness of God and his love for us and that he renewed us and, and washed us, made us clean. So, yeah. So now as we prepare to move into good works, we need to think about all of the times that there's a couple, and Beth Henderson has given several of them already. Thank you, Beth, of, of good works and doctrine and such. Uh, so as we think about good works, we need to think about why, because I mentioned this earlier, and I, I think, you know, Ruben, I know you understand this and Larry too, but uh, I think a lot of you listening tonight, if you're, you've some, maybe sometime in your life uh, saw the difference. Maybe at one point you were trying to work to make God love you. And then you decided, I'm, I'm going to work because God loved me. That's a different way of thinking. And it, I, I, I'm still going to show up at the church building. I'm still going to go help people. You're still going to bring a casserole to somebody who's in need, right? I mean, you're, you're going you're gonna to do good works, but now it's not, I'm not trying to make God accept me. I'm doing it because he's already accepted me. And I know that that can be taken, you know, out of, uh, taken the wrong way by, you know, maybe a denomination or something in, in their false, some of the false teaching. But that, that teaching is truth. That's what Titus just said. What Paul said to Titus is that grace prepares us for good works. We're not working to get it because he says, Titus 3, not because of works done by us in righteousness. Right. You know, it makes me think of Isaiah 64 in verse 6, where it says that our righteousnesses are like filthy rags before him, right? So, uh, it's not because of works of righteousness done by us. It's because of grace that we work. Yeah. Huge. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Like, I, like good works are not the foundation. Foundation is what, Christ, what, what God and Christ have, have done for us. And our good works flow from that. Um, yeah. And so we saw that in, in, in verse 11 and 12 of chapter two, and I'm going to come back to that. But the fact that it says the grace of God has appeared instructing us. Mm-hmm. So grace is a teacher. Um, but so, yeah, our good works are founded in something. They're rooted, they're grounded in something, uh, and that is what God did for us, too. They're, they're, our good works are grounded in God's good works. Larry? I was thinking of, I was thinking of Luke chapter 6, actually, where and, and I won't go there to read it for the sake of time, but what's... It's the section where God compares people, I believe, or the hearts and the actions of people to fruit and trees. Good fruit can only come from a good tree, bad fruit from a bad tree. What that entire text is saying, I think that's that mentioning that now amplifies this point is that there goes my camera being weird. It amplifies this point that if we're founded on the right thing, if we're rooted in the right thing, if our heart's in the right place, if our heart's in this focus of I'm not working for my salvation. I'm working because of my, of the grace I've been given, then good things will naturally come from that. It won't be something that we'll have to force. It'll naturally be there. But that was the only thing I was think I was thinking of throughout. Yeah. And, and uh, so as we look at uh, here, I'm just going to give you several verses as we think about good works. 
Okay, we have Titus uh, 1 and verse 16. The idea that, that uh, I want to read this though, because in verse 15 and 16, he says, to the pure, all things are pure. This is that comes back to what Terry said about being transparent. If we're dirty inside, we can't be good. We, we just can't be right with God. Listen to this. To the pure, all things are pure. But to the defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. Nothing is pure. Not their works. Both their minds and their consciences are defiled. They profess to know God, but they deny Him by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. So that's pretty strong, Reuben. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And so what we see is that the way we think where our heart is, I'm going to just put it this way, where our heart is has an impact on the way that we think, the way that we present ourselves, and the works that we do. And so if our heart is not pure, then, well, the, the things that we do, we may be doing all the right things. Oh, that was one of the big problems of 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 the uh the jews during the time of jesus and even the jews during the before the right before the captivity is uh they were doing they were still worshiping god they were still going to the temple they were still doing temple worship but their hearts weren't in the right place god says close the doors please please close the doors i don't accept your worship and so yeah to the pure everything is pure and uh to the defiled all the things that they do are defiled yeah so we know that the connection to God, right, that we have to know God in order to be qualified for good works, that's one thing. But then if you look at later in the, the chapters, I'll just try to rat, rattle through these, but Titus 2.6, he talks about women working at home. Titus 2.7, being a, Titus is to be a model of good work. So if we want Christians to be good workers, what do we have to do as teachers and evangelists and leaders? We have to model it. We have to demonstrate it so that we can mentor them. Uh, he talks about Titus, you know, the grace. Grace makes us zealous, verse 14, for good works. Uh, that grace brings us you know, an excitement and a joy to doing the good works. Again, not, not that if, you know, if I don't get this casserole to Sister Smith, I'm going to be burning hell like next week. No, I'm doing it because God has been so good to me. That's right. How can I not be good to other people? Yeah. And, and so then again, Titus 3, he says, train them, teach them to be uh, remind them to be ready for every every good right. work, and um, one, let's see verse eight. Same, I mean, just verse eight to vote themselves to good works. But notice verse fourteen. This is important as we as we think about good works. Let our people learn to devote themselves to good works, so as to help cases of urgent need and not be unfruitful. We had some uh, ladies here recently who took the younger ladies under uh, the the young. You know, teenagers and young younger girls under their arm, under their wing, to show them how do you cook a, a meal for somebody who's shut in or somebody who's sick, and so they showed them how to do it, and then they all delivered it together. So it was awesome that we had yeah. older women fulfilling right. what we see here in Titus two, being a model and a pattern of good works to the next generation, because verse fourteen says we have to learn it. I mean, yeah. we can't just say, you can't preach a sermon, hey, we got to go help people. Well, some people will take initiative on that, but most people need to be led. So come on, hey, if I, you know, take some along, along with you and, and show them how to do it and, and equip them yeah. so that they can do that. Yeah. And I would, re I would really argue that those who would take initiative in that, in that circumstance, or they're taking initiative because they themselves have already been shown what that looks like as mm -hmm. well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's exactly right. Yeah, so uh, Lynn says, upon doing good works, we should feel blessed and privileged to follow God's example of compassion, Jesus' example of humble, meek empathy for others. God is love. Yeah, very good. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I wonder, this is something I'm just kind of thinking of on the spot. I wonder how much uh, fake it till you make it really works. We're talking about good works, and it has to be rooted in something. Um. But I wonder how much fake it till you make it works. And so, you know, just, hey, start doing all these good works. You don't have to have the right heart, but start doing all these good works, and then you will eventually have the right heart. You'll develop the right heart. You know, as I'm just thinking about it on the spot, um, I kind of think, well, that, that's, that's backwards, isn't it? 
got to develop the heart and then the good works follow. Like if people, if, um, if we want people to be excited about doing things, excited about, you know, worshiping God or, 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 or helping one another or being hospitable, do we develop the works first or do we develop the hearts first? And so it's just getting to this idea of fake it till you make it. You know, yeah. And as Terry says, fake it till you make it eventually fails. Yeah. Uh, you can elaborate on more on that if you want to, Terry, um, or anyone else for that matter. But, you know, one of the things I think about Reuben and, and Larry with that idea is, is the heart is that Philippians says, uh, do all things without grumbling. This is for it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. God's working is not just for me to work. God's working in, is in me so that I will desire it. Yeah. And, and that, is, that is critical. I mean, I, I understand that I don't always have to enjoy doing dishes. I'm just going to go do it, right? Or, or you may not want to pull those weeds, but you do it. And there are other things sometimes we do for the Lord that, that okay, I'm not going to do cartwheels. But yes, absolutely, this idea of fake it till you make it, it's eventually going to fall apart. Yeah, I agree. And re- without getting too without getting too sidetracked, the idea of fake it till you make it falls victim to it falls victim to this philosophy. It's the it's this idea of show, you show a kid how to walk, but you're not showing them where they should or shouldn't be walking. That's that's what that it gets us right into that problem. Because if we teach somebody, for example, okay, we need to sing to worship God, but we're not telling them why we worship God or why they're singing to begin with. We have somebody who can sing. They sing very well. They sing beautifully, but their heart's not in the right place. And ultimately it's not about, it's not just about the action. It's about the heart. If the heart's not in the right place, it doesn't matter what the action is because it's the heart. It's the soul that will either get you there or it won't get you there. All right, good thought. I think we probably should. I think we've got three more. Uh, no, we got two more. <laughs> two yeah, more. Two okay. More. All right. Okay. Yeah, we, we we're almost there, and and I think you know these are these are quick points too. So, but yeah. Terry said we can have an image we put forth being righteous and have a dark heart full of sin. Eventually, the sin is revealed. You know, one of the prophets said, That's "Be right. sure your sin will find you out." So, sure. um, yeah. Yeah. So we talked about we've talked about God's grace uh, being God being our savior as a thread going through this uh, the good works as a thread but then we look at doctrine good right. teaching sound teaching right and as I said uh, you know when I heard growing up and again I'm not it's not I'm not trying to come across critical because I had a lot of good teaching growing up amen but the impression that I got. Okay, maybe that was me, but the impression that I got was uh, doctrine was what we did with the church building, and you know, were were we scripturally organized with elders and deacons, those kind of things. But when I read Timothy and Titus, it is so much more than that. If we consider what when Titus talks about is talked to about sound doctrine, it's about how men and women behave at home and at work and at church. Yeah. So it's Amen. about behavior. So, you know, I was thinking, it's just, this is just a, a thread that I want to, I want to run through. You can tell, you guys can tell me what you think. But uh, in chapter two, he begins uh, by saying, you are to proclaim things consistent with sound teaching. And then he go, goes on to list all of these good works to do in the home as consistent with sound teaching. Now, the, the way it's worded in verse one almost makes me think that those things aren't the sound teachings themselves, but they are the things that flow from the sound teaching. And so he says, proclaim things that are consistent with mm-hmm. that flow, excuse me, that flow from sound teaching. And so mm-hmm. uh, older men be self-controlled, worthy of respect, younger women, self-controlled, younger men, self-controlled, so on and so forth. These are the things that flow from sound teaching. And then whenever we get to verse 11, It says, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, instructing us to deny godlessness, worldly lust, and live, and and so on and so forth, eager to do good works. We get down to verse 14. And so we see that the gospel message, the grace of God, instructs us to do good works, to live a certain way. And so it seems like Mm -hmm. if 
if good works and living the right way flow from sound doctrine, and then we're told in verse 11 that God's grace or the gospel message or what he's done for us also produce good works, then the sound doctrine is probably tied to the, to the, to the grace of God. It's probably tied to the, to the gospel message. And that makes sense whenever you look at the trustworthy sayings throughout yes. Timothy and Titus. Almost yeah. all of them, and maybe you can make an argument for all of them, have to do with Jesus, the gospel message, and his grace. There is one about the elders. If anyone desires an overseer, he desires a noble work. But the great, the good shepherd is Jesus. And so you can make an argument that all of it is about Jesus and all of it really is about the gospel message. But even if you exclude that when the rest are all about the gospel message. And so mm-hmm. maybe, I don't know, but maybe sound doctrine in, in the book is, is, hey, there are people who are, who are not teaching the gospel. They're teaching the, your way to salvation is through circumcision. That's not the gospel message. And so you need to teach the gospel message. Why? Because it instructs us to do good works. It instructs us to have good lives. That's my, and that flows into, you know, no, just connecting what you said. Titus 2.12, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives. Now we go back to older men are to be what? Self-controlled. Yeah. Older women are to be what? Reverent in behavior. What are the women to be trained to be? Self-controlled. Yeah. What are the men to be uh, taught to be? Verse 6. We see a pattern. Yeah. What's grace teaches? I mean, just going along with that thought. And, and, and that's that, that's that mentality we found, we have to lay this down with grace first and the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is a fruit of the spirit, the self-control. The Holy Spirit is given to the, to the Christian to, to help transform us from the inside out. And yes, he works through his word. uh, But we understand the Holy Spirit is given to the Christian to transform us from the inside out when we become Christians and his fruit is self-control. Yeah, it is his working. And that is important for us to, to remember that when we are coming to the cross and we're coming to this teaching, uh, the result of it means that in every aspect of our life, we are uh, self-controlled. I thought it said it, said it somewhere else, but uh, maybe not. I thought it said well, self-controlled somewhere else, but yeah. Let's see. Probably not, but I, I might have missed All right. it. I don't see it, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So we see, uh, I see sound doctrine. Go ahead. Oh, no. Um, um, the two, did you only see two spots of self-control? One talking about no. referring to women, one referring to men. Well, I see verse two. I see verse five, five and six, verse six, five. five. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. And okay. So, Those okay. are only spots I saw it as well. So we think about doctrine. All right. So Titus uh-huh. one, nine, the, the elder is to, is, well, the elders to be self-controlled. <laughs> there you go, right? Yeah. So, but Titus 1, 9, he is to be able to give instruction and in sound doctrine. So the elder who's appointed has to be able to do this. Yeah. There are those, Titus 1, 11, who are teaching for shameful gain what they ought not to teach. Right. Titus is told, Titus 2, 1, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Older women teach, not just Titus, not just the elders, not just the paid preachers. Older women are to teach what is good. There are some things, man, I could preach a whole, I'm not going to do it. There are some things older women and only older women can say to younger women that just wouldn't come across right or wouldn't be received well if a man tried to say it. There are things because of the life and the understanding, they they get it. And there's things they can say, and they can say it in a way that, that the younger women can hear that. Okay. Older women to teach what is good. Um, And then, Titus 2, 7. In Titus's teaching, he's to show integrity. And, uh, but then, this is what I love about this idea of good works and doctrine. In Titus 2, he's, in verse 9 and 10, he's talking to people who are workers, bondservants, to be submissive to their own masters and everything. They are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative. How many Christians have you seen who are just argumentative? Yeah. I hope that's not. I hope that's not you tonight, right? Not argumentative, right. not pilfering, but show, showing all good faith, so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. What's the best way to be evangelistic at work? Read verse nine and ten. There's your evangelism. That's right. That's right. It, yeah. Sorry. Go ahead, guys. 
Oh, that was all I had on that. But go ahead, Larry. I was going to add that. I also think I think sound doctrine is tied to a few things. I think sound doctrine is is largely tied to one's heart, because again, like Ruben mentioned at the mentioned at the start of this point point verse two one reads in the NIV, what is appropriate to sound doctrine? Sound doctrine is not just one's actions. It's not just one's knowledge. One's actions, one's actions flow as a result of this sound doctrine. It flows as a result of where their heart is at. That's why I think sound doctrine, it comes from the heart. If your heart's in the right place, then you're going to be self-controlled. You, you're going to teach what's good. If your heart's in the right place, you're not going to try to be argumentative. You're not going to try to steal from others. It all comes from where your heart is at. I think sound doctrine in, bit, in a big part comes from where your heart is at. So when it comes to examining ourselves or looking to ourselves to determine, okay, are we following sound doctrine? It's not a question of, do we know the right answer to the question? It's not a question of, are we doing this, 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 and this? It's like a checklist. It's a question of where is our heart? And I think if we look, yeah. if we truly look at the fruits of the spirits and look at the things that Paul is instructing that people should do, men, women, bond servants, etc., we'll see that all of them are things that will happen naturally if their heart is in the right place. That's what sound doctrine is really about. Yeah, so very good. Now, as we as we, we have a couple minutes left, and we want to do this last point. Appreciate everyone's comments and discussion tonight. Uh, making this connection now from sound doctrine into, you know, this point that Ruben said this morning as we we're talking, we're not an isolated people. I want you to see this again as we're in Titus chapter 2. Why do women have to be trained to love their husbands and children and behave the way they need to behave in a godly way at home? Verse 5, that the word of God may not be reviled. What about, what about Titus? So that, verse 8, and an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say of you. That's why he has to behave the way he does. What about those that, who are workers? So that they can put a, a beautiful gold and diamond necklace on the doctrine. That's right. Okay, they're they are adorning this doctrine by the way they behave. Yeah. And uh, and so that's why T- Titus had to insist on this in chapter three, uh, because uh, we see in verses nine through eleven there are people who are stirring up division. Yeah. And they're causing controversies. And after they're being warned twice, they're told to be marked and have nothing more to do with them because they're self condemned. Right. And and so we understand we're not isolated. So go ahead, Ruben, won't you speak to that, you know, before, as we wrap up? Yeah, we're not an isolated people. I mean, Paul begins in chapter two with good works, essentially, in the in the household environment. Uh, and then in chapter three, he's talking about society. And so he begins in verse one, submit to rulers and authorities, uh, and be ready for every good work. He's talking about in, in the society, uh, don't slander people. And so on and so forth. And what you mentioned earlier from chapter two, so that God's work will not be slandered and so on. But look at verse, verse eight, um, verse eight. He says this saying is trustworthy, and he's he's, he's pointing up. That's pointing up to verses uh, uh, like what four and following. Um, but he says, I want you to insist on these things. And again, verses four and following. That's the gospel message. Um, God, our Savior, uh, sent uh, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, to wash, renew. Uh, whatever, however you want to, you know, whatever the, the text says, it's the gospel message there from verses four to eight. And he says, I want you to assist on these things so that those who have believed God might be careful to devote, to devote themselves to good works. And so again, we see that the gospel message, the grace of, uh, of, of our God and how he cleanses us has, um, it inspires us to do certain things so that those who have believed might devote themselves to good works. But what do those good works do? Well, verse eight says, says these are good and profitable for everyone. And someone might say, well, that's just people in the church. I don't think, I think there's a contrast sort of going on. Mm -hmm. Uh, It says those who have believed God need to do good works so that everyone may be profited. And so I think there's a contrast between those who believe God do good work, so it profits everyone. And I think the idea is that uh, Christians were, were not, huh, it's interesting, the Cretans were on an island, but Christians were not 
They're not on an island. We're not on an That's island. Right. We do good works so that other people mm. can benefit from it as well. Everyone can benefit it, not just people in our group, but everyone. In that way, uh, this is a, becomes a kingdom, a city shining on a hill that everyone wants to flock to. You know, if we, when we look down at verse 9, avoid foolish debates, genealogies, quarrels, disputes, all of that stuff. No one wants to be a part of that. And if that's what we're doing on Facebook or whatever, uh, then no one wants to be a part of us. But Paul right. says we need to devote ourselves to good works. We need to be doing good things in our community. We're a part of a community. We need to be doing good things in our community. Why? Because they're profitable for everyone so that we can be that, that shining city on a hill. That's right. Well, thank you, everyone, for joining us tonight. Thanks. Uh, I almost said Max and Ruben. Sorry, Larry and Ruben. <laughs> he looks like Max. So uh, thank you. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> thank you for joining us. You know, one more thought. Yes, we're not on an island. Uh, remember, they lived on a very wicked place, but they, they weren't to bunker down and dig a hole and just go get a commune and be by themselves. They were to live as lights in the world on the island of Crete. And that's what God expects us to do in America 2022, or if you're in somewhere else in the world right now, to shine as lights in the world. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. If you have any questions, as I said before, email me at Aaron, that's A-A-R-O-N, at shepherdingtalk.com. Have a great day.